بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي لم يوالى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا inshallah today we'll try to wrap up the life story of Abdullah bin Salam radiyallahu anhu once Abdullah bin Salam radiyallahu anhu was talking to one of his closest friends among the Sahaba, Salman al-Farsi radiallahu anhu. <clears throat> Both of them had a lot in common. But what really brought them very close was the fact that Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu didn't have a tribe because his tribe had been exiled and he was pretty much all alone now. And Salman Farsi never had a tribe or a family from the very beginning. He had been in migration most of his life, searching for the truth, searching for the final prophet, and finally came to Medina Munawwara in search, uh, in, to fulfill, uh, in search of that of Rasulullah and the prophecy that he was given by the people that he stayed with. Christian monks and whatnot, and he was in a total foreign land. Arabia was a total foreign land to him. So, Salman Farsi radiallahu anhu, in a way, was isolated, and Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu too was isolated. Um, though Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu was living in his birthplace, Medina Munawar was his birthplace. But not having a family, not having your tribe, was almost like being all alone. So they had a very close relationship. So close that once Salman Farsi who was sitting with Abdullah bin Salam he said, my brother, if you die before me, if you die before me, then I'll see you in my dream. And if I die before you, then you can see me in your dream. So Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu was very confused. Because seeing someone in your dream is not a matter of choice. Right? You want to see someone in your dream, you can desire it for as much as you want. You can hope for it as much as you want, but it's not going to happen, most likely. So Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu asked, he said, Can this really happen? Are you serious? You die and I'm going to see you in my dream. I mean, I, I, it's not like I don't want to see you in my dream. It's just, how is it going to happen? So he said, no, it can. And Salman Farsi then was known to be Hakim, right? A man of wisdom. Because he had seen, a, as we mentioned, he had been through a, an odyssey of life. His life was a whole odyssey. Just searching for the truth, going from one sage to another, one monk to another, and finally arriving in Medina Munawwara. And they say he was about 200-something years old when he passed away. He'd seen a lot in life. So he had gathered a lot of wisdom along the way. So he said, Naam, of course it's possible. Inna nismat al-mu'mini, inna nismat al-mu'mini, the soul of a believer, tadhabu fil ardi haythu sha'at, it roams the earth and goes wherever it wants. 
As for the soul of a kafir, it's inside a prison, a cage. So, if my soul is free to roam, I guess that meant that then you can see me in the dream. If, you, if I die before you, you'll be able to see my dream because I'm roaming around. So Salman Farsi did pass away before Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu So Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu says, one day I was doing the qaylula, the afternoon nap, binisfin nahar, midday, ala saririnli on my bed. Fa'aghvaytu ighfa'atan, and I dozed off. I didn't go to sleep. I was just dozing. And Salman who came to me in my sleep. He said, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So I said, Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Abu Abdullah, how are you doing? And I said to him, Kayfa wajatta manzalak. How are you doing over there? He said, Khairan. Very good. But let me give you some advice. He said, what? He said, عَلَيْكَ بِالتَّوَكُّلِ فَنِعْمَ الشَّيْءَ التَّوَكُّلِ عَلَيْكَ بِالتَّوَكُّلِ فَنِعْمَ الشَّيْءَ التَّوَكُّلِ وَعَلَيْكَ بِالتَّوَكُّلِ فَنِعْمَ الشَّيْءَ التَّوَكُّلِ Three times. Hold on to tawakkul. It is the best thing to have. Tawakkul, reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not relying on asbab, means. But relying on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all matters. Now what does that mean? Of course, we all have to some level, to some degree, reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's an element of our iman. Right? We don't put all our weight on asbab and means. But an example to understand reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that when you have a headache and you go for the medicine cabinet to get some medicine, when you put your tawakkul completely in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you don't think that it's the medicine that's going to remove the headache. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who's going to remove the headache. And if he wants, this medicine that I'm going to eat is not going to do anything for me. When a person has complete tawakkul in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he uses the asbab, but he doesn't believe in them. He doesn't believe in their effectiveness. The effectiveness only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he eats, he doesn't think the food is making him full and relieving him of his hunger. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is relieving him of his hunger, but he has a system in place, and he's just using that system. That's all. This is complete tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> so, in another narration, this is a, a variant of the narration that we just read. He said, Abdullah bin Salama asked him, Ayyul a'mali wajjattaha afdal? 
which amal did you find to be the greatest? He said, Wajatu tawakkul shay'an ajeeban. I found tawakkul to be an amazing thing. Meaning the reward that comes from reliance is much better than the reward that comes from anything else. Now, there's something to, for us to remember here. Something for us to remember. When we do good deeds, we are encouraged to do them because there's rewards for it. You do this good deed, you get this many reward. You do that good deed, you get this many reward. You just do this good deed, you'll get this for it. Right? So every good deed has a fixed amount of rewards. There are some that have numerous rewards. Some that have such a reward like siyam, like fasting. Fasting has such a reward that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give it. It's an untold amount of reward. Right? <clears throat> but there's something greater than rewards and bonuses from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is qualities. These are more rewarding than even the good deeds that you do. Acquiring good qualities like tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is much greater than actually doing good deeds. So there are Sahaba Ridwan who outwardly, if you look at their lives and you compare it to the life of, for example, Umar ibn Khattab they had made a lot more sacrifices. A good example is Khabbab ibn al-Arat He's a muhajir sahabi. He accepted Islam before Umar ibn al-Khattab And he was tortured and persecuted to no end. So much so that once Umar ibn al-Khattab in a gathering asked him, how was your suffering in the beginning of Islam? So he removed, he took off the tunic that he was wearing and he showed him the back part. And his, it was just a bunch of craters. Didn't look like a normal back. And Umar ibn Khattab was shocked. And he said, yeah, when I used to be, um, when I, the, my, my owner would place me on a hot bed of coals. And then the only thing that would make that hot bed of coals extinguished would be the fat on my back. So what Khabbab ibn al-Arat put up with and suffered in the name of Islam was much greater than Umar ibn Khattab. But what Umar ibn Khattab had <coughs> was, much, was much greater. The good deeds of Khabbab ibn al-Arat were much greater. The suffering, the patience, right? But what Umar ibn Khattab had was much, much greater in terms of qualities and attributes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. And that's what makes you ascend. The qualities. So I'm not saying don't do good deeds. But what we should acquire is the good qualities. Because they're eventually what lead us to doing a lot more good deeds. You have more tawakkul, that means your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very strong. You're not looking at creation, you're always looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.
So if your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is strong, then you're definitely going to be doing a lot more good deeds than a person who doesn't have that quality and does good deeds. So this is what is being mentioned here. We're going to go through some of the quotes of different Sahaba Ridwan about Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu. Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu says, مَا سَمِعْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ يَقُولُ لِأَحَدٍ يَمْشِي عَلَى وَجْهِ الْأَرْضِ أَنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ إِنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا لِعَبْدِ اللَّهِ بِنِ السَّلَامِ Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu anhu. Mustajab al-Dawah. He says, I've never heard Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say about anybody who walks on the face of this earth that he is from the people of Jannah and he is from the people of Jannah except Abdullah bin Salam. There's no one on the face of this earth regarding whom Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that he is from the people of Jannah except Abdullah bin Salam. This was... According to Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas radiallahu knowledge. According to his knowledge, his limited knowledge. This is what he's saying. Anybody who's walking on the earth, and Rasulullah said this person from Jannah, it was him. Mu'ad bin Jabal radiallahu we already read his, been through his quote, where he advised his students after he was on his deathbed and was about to die. What did he say? Go to four people. You want to seek knowledge? Go to four people. Who are those four people? Hmm. Abdullah bin Masood was one of them. Abdullah bin Salam was another one. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu. And had Umar. And then in, in another variant, there was Salman Farsi radiallahu anhu. But they all had different forms of knowledge. Umar radiallahu anhu was not only a faqih, but also an administrator. Right? And good management skills over people. Um, Abdullah bin Salam was not a faqih. But what he was blessed with was an insight that he got because he knew and believed in the Anbiya before and followed them and knew the previous scriptures and came into Islam with that knowledge and then believed in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam as well. That was a type of knowledge that most, in fact, none of the other Sahaba had. Because all of them came from polytheism, mushriks. Right? So we're going to read about Abdullah ibn Abbas, who's the greatest mufassir of Quran al amongst the Sahaba. He's asking Abdullah ibn Salam questions, questions about ayahs of Quran al that no one could know unless you know the previous scriptures. And you know them well. For example, the Bani Israel used to say, وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ عُزَيْرُ نِبْنُ اللَّهِ The Yehud used to say that Uzair is a son of Allah. Why did they say that? Ibn Abbas could not give the proper tafsir of that ayah of Quran because it relates to Bani Israel. So it has to be somebody who was a former Bani Israel, who will be able to give the best tafsir of that ayah of Quran al-Kareem. So, so, in that sense, Abdullah bin Salam was blessed with a lot of knowledge and insight. So, he's sending people to different places. Mu'ad bin Jabal is sending different people to different places according to what they want. You want fiqh? Go to Abdullah bin Masood. 
You want wisdom and you want insight, go to Abdullah bin Salam. You want to learn more about, you know, governing people and those type of skills, then you need to go. Umar ibn Khattab anhu. And then you had Salman Farsi anhu, who was not known as a faqih at all either. But he was also a man of wisdom. He was a sage. Right? Allah Akbar. There's another rawaya. Mus'ab ibn Sa'ad narrates from his father Sa'ad radiallahu anhu. <clears throat> this is not Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu. Oh, sorry, this is not, uh, this is either, sorry, this is either Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu or Sa'ad bin Ubadah radiallahu anhu. Okay, and these two Sahaba were the chiefs of Banu Aus and Banu Khazraj. Sa'ad bin Ubadah was the chief of Banu Khazraj and Sa'ad bin Mu'ad was the chief of Banu Aus. Two very, very powerful and great Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu It's the son of one of them and doesn't mention which one. Musab ibn Sa'ad, who says, narrating from his father, Rasulullah sallallahu was brought a bowl of Farid. He was brought a bowl of Farid. And there was a group of Sahaba sitting with Rasulullah at that time. So the Sahaba started eating. But there was a little bit left over after everybody was full. So Rasulullah said, this, whatever is left over from this bowl is going to be consumed by a person who is from the people of Jannah. So the narrator, Sa'ad radiallahu he's saying that I had just left my brother Umair behind in the house and I was wishing he's going to come right now. Not because of the Threed, but because the glad tidings he would get for being from the people of Jannah. So he said, I just left my brother Umair behind. He was performing his wadu before he came to sit in the gathering of Rasulullah. Sahaba would never ever sit with Rasulullah without being in the state of wudu. Never went into the masjid unless they were in the state of wudu. Most of the time. How often do we keep our wudu? Hmm? Being in a constant state of wudu. Wudu breaks. Go to the bathroom. Attend to your needs. Perform your wudu. And continue. And then it happens again. Attend the call of nature. Do what you got to do. And then perform your wudu again. Before you even leave the bathroom. This was the habit of the Sahab Ridwan. Always being in a state of wudu. This is one thing we can take from this blessed month of Ramadan. If we can be in a state of wudu all the time. All the time. If we just make it a habit. I know our Hazrat. He told me that this has been his habit for the last 50 years. He said he never leaves the bathroom without being in a state of wudu. 
is always in the state of wudu. And this is known about our Hadith Shaykh, Shaykh Al-Hadith Muhammad Zakiri as well. Even when he was suffering from incontinence, still kept himself in a state of wudu all the time. So, inshallah, let's hope we can keep, let's, we can uh, adopt this into our life. The very beautiful sunnah of the Sahaba Radwan Allah Majmain. So anyways, وَكُنْتُ تَرَكْتِ أَخِيُّ مَيْرًا فِي الْبَيْتِ يَتَوَضَّوْ فَرَجَوْتَ أَنْ يَكُنَ I was hoping he's gonna come, he's gonna come, he's gonna come, he's gonna come. And suddenly, Abdullah bin Salam comes. And Rasulullah Sallam said, eat from the bowl. And he ate. This coming was not enough, he had to eat from it, because that's what he said, right? He said that the person who's gonna eat the leftover is gonna be from the people of Jannah. So just to be in the gathering wasn't enough, he had to eat from there. So, you can imagine Sa'adullah was staring at Abdullah bin Salam when he came in to see if he's going to actually eat. And he's eating it. Oh, there, there goes my brother's chance. Right? There's another ruwaya. And this ruwaya is from Sahih Bukhari. And it's narrated by Qais ibn Ibad or Qais ibn Abbad who says, I was in Medina Manawara. He's a tabi'i. He says, I entered the masjid and I came upon a group of Sahab Ridwan Majmain in Masjid al-Nabwi. He said, we were just sitting and I was just learning and sitting in the company of other Sahaba. فَدَّخَلَ alina rajulun, And suddenly a man came into the masjid. And on his face were signs of humility. Khushu', a man of humility. So some of the people from the gathering said, هَذَا رَجُلٌ مِنْ هَلِ الْجَنَّةِ this man is from the people of Jannah. Some other said, Man Whoever would is, is happy to see a person or would be pleased to see a person from the people of Jannah. There you go, he's right there. So everybody made different types of comments about this person being from the pe person pe from the people of Jannah. This man walked in, masjid. He went to one of the corners of the masjid near one of the pillars. He prayed two raka'ah. In which he prayed a very short two raka'ahs, meaning a very mukhtasar. Then he left. He just came to perform two raka'ahs, tahiyyatul masjid. And then he left the masjid. That's all he wanted to do. And then he went back home. He said, I followed him. This Qais bin Abad, Tabi said, I followed him. He went into his house. I waited by the door for a little while until I knew that he was inside and he was settled down. Then he said, I went knocked on the door. I asked for permission. He gave me permission. I sat by him and we started talking until he got to know me better and I got to know him a little better. And he felt comfortable with me and I felt comfortable with him. And then I said to him, A little while ago you came into the masjid. And there were Sahaba and people in the gathering, and this is some of the statements that they made about you. He said, Subhanallah. It's not permissible for a person to say what he does not know. Meaning that they may be saying this about me, but do they really know it or not? This may he be he may be saying this out of his humility. Or he said it because in reality nobody knew or a lot of those people may have not known his story 
of why he's from the people of Jannah and what Rasulullah said about him and they were just saying it based on what everybody else said. Right. But we need to remember, when somebody says something good about someone, even if there's no proof behind it, even if there's no proof behind it, there's no harm in passing it on. But if it's something negative about someone, and you pass it on without actually first verifying whether what that person said about this other person is true or not, then you just spread a you just spread a lie. Because Rasulullah is enough for a person to lie that he just passes on what he hears from other people without actually confirming whether it's true or not. Now why is it that there's two different rules? Right? For when it's good, it's a different rule. And when it's something bad about someone, it's a different rule. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Stay away from bad thoughts and bad ideas about people. Negative things about people. You don't need proof for good statements. But you always need proof for bad ones. That's Islamic character. Anyhow, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make all of us like that. That's a very, very difficult, a very difficult quality to acquire, to always be thinking positively about others. And I think, I know, I mean, myself, I lack in that. And we fall short many times. And I'm going to ask everyone to make dua for me and we make dua for each other that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us strong in establishing and developing this aspect of our character and always being positive about people. Anyhow, he says, Now let me narrate to you something about this. He said, Once I saw a dream in the time of Rasulullah. And I narrated the dream to him. What did I see? So now he's narrating his dream that he narrated to Rasulullah. He said, I saw I was in a very lush and green garden full of roses and greenery and trees in the middle of this garden was a there was a pole a pole in the middle of this garden which was the bottom part of it was in the ground but the top was going all the way into the skies. So it was really long. And right near the foot of this long pole, there was a urwa, like a handle. There's that word in the Quran, urwatul wuthqa, a firm handle. So I heard a voice, someone say to me, Ascend, get on the pole and go up using the handle. So I, tell, I told them, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. So somebody came to me from behind and helped me up using my cloth to pull me up. And they pulled me up from my back. And I ascended on this pole. Until I was at the very top of the pole, meaning... 
I was in disguise. And then I grabbed the handle with my hand. Somebody said to me, that same person probably, or same thing that was carrying him up. He said, Istamsik, hold on to this properly. Hold on to this properly. And this handle, this was in my hand and I was holding on to it very tight. And then my dream ended. So Rasulullah gave me the interpretation to that dream. He said, as for the garden, the green lush garden, that is Islam. As for the pole that's going from the earth to the skies, Islam. That is the pillars of Islam. Islam. Well Urwa, as for that handle that you were were holding on to, that is Urwatul Islam. That is the handle of Islam. Islam Hatta You will stay on Islam until you die. So holding on to the handle means that he's holding on to Islam. And what are the pillars of Islam? The deen. The main components of our deen. Now Qais ibn Ibad says, this man who had walked into the masjid and who I had followed, went into the house, talked to him, and then he narrated this whole dream to me, that was Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu. This is a hadith of Sayyid Bukhari. Here's a point that some of the scholars say about him. They say that Rasulullah said, these are the words, You will remain on Islam until you will die. There's two prophecies in this. Number one, that he will die in the state of Iman. Number two, he will not die a martyr. Because the word used is tamuta. And that's not the word that's used for a person who dies in the battlefield. And that's exactly what happened. Abdullah bin Salam who died a normal, natural death in Medina Munawwara when many other Sahaba at that very time period were dying in the battlefields. All of them were going out to the battlefields because this was a time where everybody was going out. Forces were going out to Sham, they were in Iraq, they're all over. There's a lot of stuff going on at that time. There's battles and wars going on against big superpowers and Sahaba were involved in it. We talked about Maad bin Jabal, Abu Ubaid ibn al-Jarrah. Bilal Radin was out there in Damascus, right? But Abdullah bin Salam, he died a natural death in Medina Manabura. I thought I would be able to wrap it up today, but I think we have a little bit more left and we will continue this inshallah tomorrow. I just wanted to go through some of his knowledge that he gained from the previous scriptures. He said a lot of things uh, when Uthman ibn Affan who passed away when he was martyred. He said a lot of things to the people as a way of guiding them at a time when there was total chaos. Right? 
And some of the things he said were things that other Sahaba Ridwan you would never think or imagine they would say it because it was coming from his knowledge from the previous scriptures. Like he said specifically about Uthman ibn Affan who said things which he's narrating to the people right, that came from the previous scriptures. And we'll talk about that inshallah tomorrow. And then the answer he gave to Ibn Abbas about what is the meaning of Uzaydun ibn Allah. Right? So we just want to go some of his, his knowledge. What his knowledge was all about. It wasn't fiqh. Like Muad bin Jabradin was fiqh. His knowledge was different. It was also a form of knowledge. Right? Which was necessary. That's why Muad bin Jabradin was sending some students here. And it was up to them. I mean, everybody knew Abdullah bin Salam was known for this and he's known for that. So you, you like, you want to go there? You want to learn that type of knowledge? Right? You go over there. You want to learn this type? You want to learn fiqh? You go here. You want to learn hadith? Go to Abu Right? He had a choice. So anyhow, there's two, three narrations uh, from the Torah or his knowledge based on the Torah that we're going to share with him. And then inshallah, one or two of his hadith from Rasulullah And then inshallah after that, we'll wrap it up and conclude the life story of Abdullah bin Salam radiallahu anhu. Jazakumullah khair ahsan jazaa. Subhanallah rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wassalamun alayhi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi wa rahmatullahi